0: Let's pray together as we study God's Word. Lord, we ask that your mighty angels would be in our place, wherever we are this Sabbath, wherever our residence at this moment. May you speak to us through your Word. May you give us thoughts and wisdom and strength to follow your will. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's week number nine in our 13-week series called Steps to Christ. Essentially, what we're doing here is creating a framework or an outline for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Our goal is, is to understand and experience practices that bring us into the path that Jesus walked and to help us grow in His image, by His grace, by His power, and being empowered for a God-honoring life. So far, we've mapped out foundational issues in our path of discipleship. We've talked about God's loving kindness toward us and our crucial need for Him. We've talked about repentance and confession and consecration and faith, obedience and growing in Christ. A major resource in this series is a spiritual classic called Steps to Christ. If you don't happen to have one and would like one, we'd love to send you a copy free of charge. It's worth reading over and over again. If you go to our website, villagechurch.com, You'll find a connect card there for you to uh, write your request and send it by by online to our email, and we'd love to send you a copy of Steps to Christ for free. This week in our series, we are turning a corner. In our final four, including this, making five, we will talk about specific practices, things that are essential in our growing in Christ. Today, we will talk about what I've called co-work. Now, that's not even a word. Every time I wrote it on my computer, it came up as something that was spell-checked. But I've chosen this word because I think it expresses something very vital. Co-working in business parlance, describes an arrangement where several freelancers, remote workers, or independent professionals come together in one space and work together with a supportive infrastructure. And evidently, according to uh, studies, this sort of a situation uh, creates collaboration and connections and a dynamic that, that is very helpful. Well, you know, as I see it, as disciples of Christ, we co-work with Him. <laughs> That's really what we do. We share space with Him. That space is our lives. That space is our, is our being. We've invited Him to be in the command center of our lives he has taken his place at our invitation in the control room into first place. And by the promise of God and our invitation, the Holy Spirit lives in us and brings to us the personal presence of Jesus Christ. And our goal with him in residence is to live as he would live, to make this place, this world, our world, a better place because we're in it, just like Jesus made the world a better place, because he was in it. To co-work with him in our world, bringing blessings to the world. In every relationship, in every intersection of life, in every place, Jesus is bringing blessing and joy and love and sympathy through us as he works in us Making this world a better place. Co-work with Jesus. That's really why I've decided to stay in this place during this time of unprecedented challenge. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted everything. Everything is changed. And I contemplated pushing the pause button and moving on to... Uh, Something maybe more interesting during this time, maybe looking at scenarios that this crisis presents us with. Now, some of us are doing that in our minds, in our conversations. We're playing out this tumultuous episode and how it fits into the order of history and end of time events. It certainly has a a part in it. Jesus said that the era of his return would be an extraordinary time. He warned that there would be worldwide conflicts. He said there would be earthquakes and famines. And then he he used the words, there would be pestilences. Well, COVID-19 is certainly one of those. Another clear indicator of his return and it being soon. Our greatest need in this hour I believe is not, not more end time frenzy, you might call it but really our greatest need is this in this hour is strength, encouragement power, direction purpose, life giving strength to be God's people in relationship with Jesus Christ in this hour for Him. And that's what this series is all about. Walking with Jesus, steps to Christ. The problem is that co-working with Jesus, to co-work with Him, has always presented us with one of our greatest challenges. Consider this, the experience of Jesus' core followers. They were gathered for the Last Supper, Passover, just before Jesus' betrayal and His crucifixion. They had been with Jesus for three and a half years, living, learning, being mentored. And the disciples were still arguing about, still arguing about who was to be the greatest among them. By the way, this wasn't a new issue for them. And it's the case that whenever there's a trouble about who is the greatest, it's really a problem of not wanting to be the least. That's the crux of the matter. Most of us know, most all of us know, that we'll never be the greatest. But we just don't want to be the least. The disciples were keenly aware that someone needed to wash Jesus' feet. A servant was to have been hired, but wasn't. People who washed feet were the lowest of the low. So, everyone sat there. No one moved. Feet caked with dirt. No one saying a word. That's when Jesus took a towel, took a basin, and redefined life preeminently, and he portrayed life, not only for, as it was for him, but for us. What it means to be a disciple, what it means to walk in Jesus' steps. Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, got up, took a towel, and washed the disciples' feet. No, none of them would stoop to that act, But Jesus didn't think of it as a stoop. Jesus thought of it as his life. He lived out servanthood before them and called his disciples then and today to a life of service. He said, John 13, verse 14 and 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, our tradition in the village church is to repeat what Jesus did, wash feet as a preparatory uh, service in regard to the communion that we celebrate, usually four times a year. When we share the emblems of our Lord's sacrifice for us, we begin by washing feet as Jesus wash the disciples' feet. And that's a good thing. That's that's biblical. That's, That's appropriate. But it's also symbolic. It's ceremonial. Jesus, when he did this act, was asking something even bigger than that from us. He was not just asking us to mimic his actions once a quarter. He was actually asking us to make this kind of unselfish behavior our way of life the world operates in a completely different way the games of power and authority uh, are really a matter of pecking order in a chicken pen nothing is settled until there's a pecking order and a clear line of authority all the chickens know who's on top, and who's on the bottom, and they know who's on every rung in between. A group of people can't be together long before there's a pecking order as well. It's evident by the way people uh, carry themselves. It's evident by the way where they sit, how they relate to each other. It's evident by the way that the people bow out when someone else, when two people begin to talk together. It's evident by the the way one steps back and one steps forward when a job is there to be done. Jesus said his kingdom is not according to the pecking order. Now there's still uh, leadership, there's still authority in God's kingdom, but it happens in a completely different way for his disciples then. And for us today. The point is, Jesus is completely redefining leadership and authority. He didn't just reverse the pecking order, putting the top on the bottom and the bottom on the top. He absolutely abolishes the pecking order. He's what, here's what he said, Matthew twenty, twenty five, twenty six. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. So here he totally rejected the pecking order system of his day and our day as well. How does authority? How does leadership work in God's kingdom? He goes on, verses twenty six, twenty eight. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, the object in Jesus' life, His, his number one calling in life, His number one ambition was to be about God's will, doing God's will, being obedient to His way. First and foremost... Everything was second to this. When we think of God's grace in Jesus Christ, His love for us, His goodness, His His mercy in our life, that we are moved in the same way to allow His leadership to motivate us. And that's what discipleship is. We live in submission to His authority. And we want, first and foremost, to do His will. People are not objects. People are the focus of God's love, not ours. I'm sorry, God's love and ours, for sure. Steps of Christ says it this way. They, disciples of Jesus, will do all they can to make the world a better place for their stay in it. I like those words. When Jesus comes into our life, unselfishness, other-centeredness is birthed within us. True service comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We serve because the Spirit of God lives in us. And urges us, prompts us, whispers to us. We don't look for the big deal. We don't look for the titanic splash. We don't look for the placards that will announce what we've done. We're happy with small things and big things. Because size is seldom an indicator of importance. We just want to serve. We're not looking for rewards. We're not looking for recognition. We don't know We don't need to know how people see us and whether they appreciate what we've done. We're happy to be hidden or we're happy to be known for what we've done, whatever happened. But it's God's approval, not others' approval, that we're looking for. Greatness in God's kingdom, as Jesus said, is to be the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, the song goes, learn to be the servant of all. It's not affected by moods or, or whims. It doesn't happen only when I feel like serving. As one Bible student put it, service disciplines the feelings rather than allowing the feelings to control the service. I like that. True service is a lifestyle. It happens within. It springs spontaneously from a heart that's been surrendered to God. It never creates an indebtedness, you owe me. It doesn't manipulate, I'm doing this so that I can get something from you. No, it it builds, it it creates community, it cares. And Jesus invites us to that kind of a relationship, to that kind of work. He invites us to co-work with him, to be co-laborers with him. Because he knew that this is the path to true greatness. He knew that. Now God could have assigned the work, his work, here in the world to the angels or to some, to let it be accomplished in some other way. He could have come up with some scheme to carry forward his purposes. But he chose to make us co-workers, co-laborers with him. Because He knew that this was the path of real joy, real fulfillment. And also, it was the path of spiritual maturity, becoming more like Him. He knew that the effort to bless others, as it says in Steps to Christ, would react in blessings upon ourselves. He knew that in serving unselfishly, that I would grow in Him. He knew that in serving unselfishly, I would grow to be like Him. Because that's who he is. He serves unselfishly. A couple of months ago, before the coronavirus uh, interruption, my boys and a bunch of other young men got together randomly and created an exercise challenge. 50,000 push-ups in 365 days. That's a lot of push-ups. In case you're wondering, that's 137 push-ups every day. Now, everyone was sent a Google spreadsheet. And just for fun, my son Evan sent me one. (laughs) We are currently at day number 62. There it is. There's 15 of us. 14 of them are 20 and 30 years old. And then there's me. Now, I'm going to let your imagination take you from there. Except to reiterate a truth that you all know that strength comes by exercise, even for old men. And it's the same in the Christian life. Strength comes not just by passively hearing and accepting God's gracious blessings, and there are many, but spiritual growth comes by engaging, by helping, by serving. By giving, by sharing with others, by, by co-work with Christ, unselfishly serving others. That's how we grow. This is how God works His character in us, through Christ. In, and including the, one of the most challenging virtues that we face as human beings, and that is humility. Humility is... Isn't just, it's not just convincing ourselves and others that we're lacking somehow. That's not humility. Humility isn't beating up ourselves or trying to make ourselves look like nothing. That's not humility. Humility is about not needing to be more than what we really are. That's humility. Humility. Humility is a healthy self-forgetfulness, a freedom from the preoccupation to self. That's humility. Humility is, is a sense that helps us so that when we're with others, we're really with others and not merely wondering about how may, they might benefit us or what they're thinking of us. Jesus considered humility foundational to following Him. Here's what He said in Matthew 23, verse 12. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, the challenge with humility is that it's never gained by seeking it. In fact, the more you pursue it, the more elusive it becomes. And when I get to thinking that I'm getting close, that's a sure sign that I'm further than ever from humility. But there is something we can do. There is something we can do to grow in humility. We can choose to serve. We can choose to co-work with Christ. When we consciously choose to work for the good of others... Not for our own good, but for the good of others. And don't do it for a show. Don't do it for ourselves. Something big, something deep happens inside our characters. My ego normally whines when I serve others. And it, especially when it comes at some cost for me, it, it's like it, it rages against when I'm doing something for someone else's benefit. My spirit chafes when I serve. It screams when I get no credit for what I'm doing. But when I do it in hiddenness, that's when something happens in my heart. My heart says, I want to be a spectacle. My heart says, I want attention. My heart says, I want benefit. I want honor. I want recognition. And it's amazing how subtle and uh, th- our devices are to just talk about ourselves in ways that, is relig- that are religiously acceptable, but really calling attention to ourselves. By the way, did you know what I did the other day? The Apostle John said, said it this way, for all that is in the world, 1 John 2 verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. New Testament scholar, C.H. Dodd, said that the lust of the eyes is the tendency to be captivated by outward show. He went on to say that the pride of life is Pretentious egoism. In other words, it's a showy self-centeredness. That's exactly our, our pride. That's exactly what we're fighting against. And all this highlights my infatuation with me. My power. My place. My ability. My prowess. And that's, that's a human heart. That's a human ego disconnected from God in operation. Here really is the area of spiritual life where Jesus is our example. Jesus is our teacher. Jesus said, he came to be served. I'm sorry, he came to serve, not to be served. That's Matthew 20, verse 28. Now some of us, some of us, have the mistaken idea that Jesus coming here to serve was just kind of a temporary interruption of Jesus' normal experience. Normally, people say, you know, Jesus receives service from everything, everywhere. Actually, the truth of the matter is that God is about service. Jesus is service. That's God's business. That is who He is. The idea of Jesus' divine servanthood is beautifully expressed in Paul's words to the church in Philippi. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. And here, Paul begins with the admonition, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So the text here encourages us To have have the same mindset, the same attitude of Jesus. Then it goes on. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, oftentimes, just thinking of that verse, we oftentimes, I do anyway, I've read this verse, and my thinking goes something like this. In spite of the fact that Jesus' very nature was God, he became a servant in spite of the fact. Putting it in another way, we could say Jesus didn't think so much of his divine nature that he was unwilling to take upon himself our nature for our benefit. Now, that, that kind of makes, that kind of thinking makes perfect sense from a human standpoint. Jesus became a servant in spite of the fact that he was God. But there's another facet of this truth, this verse, this passage that needs clarification, needs attention. The essential point that Paul is making here about Christ is not the fact that he came to and served despite the fact that he was God, but he came and served because he was God. That is God's nature. He took the place of a servant because he was God. He poured himself into that because that is what God is like. In other words, when Jesus came in the form of a servant, he wasn't disguising who God is. He was revealing who God is. God is the infinite servant. God is the most humble being in the entire universe. He came as a servant in spite of the fact that he was God precisely because he was God. That's why he came as a servant. And Jesus knew his followers would wrestle with this truth. That's why, that's why one day when they were arguing again about who was the greatest, of course, worrying about who is the least, he invited a child to come up and join he and his disciples. And he said, "Verse chapter nine, verse forty-eight of Luke: Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest." You see, the job of the disciples, the job of the disciples, was to welcome and receive this child. They needed to do this not just for the sake of the child, but for for their own sake, for their own benefit. You see, it's it's through servanthood, it's through co-work with Jesus that we honor Him, that we become like Him, that we also come to see ourselves more clearly than in any other way. To say it another way, To say it another way, the main reason Jesus calls us to servanthood, to co-work, is not because people need our service, although they do, but it's even more so because of what happens to us when we serve. I love the way Steps to Christ puts it. Those who, page 79, those who become participants in labors of love are brought nearest to their creator. In other words, when we help others, we're being helped. The reason God calls us to co-work is not because we're strong and others are weak and need us. It beca- it's because we need the help that comes from our helping, from our serving. Co-work with God is not just a list of things to do. Co-work is a way of life. To do specific acts of service isn't co-work. Co-work is a part and parcel of life. It's, it's doing because that's who we are. I'd like to finish up our study time this morning with uh, a few ways that co-work can manifest itself in our lives. Okay, so maybe you might jot these down if you have a pencil and paper. Go grab one. You're at home. You can get one. So here, here's a few ways that we can co-work. There's something that we could call the service of small things. That's, this is sort of like Dorcas, you know, in the Bible. Finding ways that we can help. Those in need. Someone calls and asks for a favor. And usually, if you notice, comes at a most inconvenient time. But we do it. And during this period of COVID-19 crisis, it's the greatest opportunity to just do those little acts of service. The service of small things. There's another way that we can uh, serve. And that would be The service of guarding the reputation of others. Hmm. Paul taught us to speak evil of no one. That's Titus 3 verse 2. You know, we can dress malicious talk in all the most religious respectability we can, but it's still deadly poison. The Bible calls us, God calls us, to be to co work with Christ means that we will not be a part of any conversation that talks disparagingly about others, guard others' reputation. That's a beautiful part of service. There's another way that we can express this co labor with God, co working with Him, and that's the service of common courtesy. Now, you might think this is rather uh, minor this is really important, to really be sincere, to be earnest about the greeting that we give people, to say and make sure we say please and thank you, to express ourselves, to express thankfulness in maybe some physical way. Just this week, I got a little note in the mail, a note of thank you from someone here in Village Church, just expressed, and it just blessed my heart, and I'm sure it was a blessing to them as well to write it. And these are the sort of courtesies that we can do during this coronavirus separating ourselves. Maybe an email, maybe a, a little note, maybe a text, just letting someone know. Let them, letting someone know that you appreciate them. There's another service that we can participate in. It's a little bit hard during this coronavirus, but it's, it's a service of hospitality. Peter urges us to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That's First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 9. Now, this is a dis- disappearing grace. It's absolutely disappeared during this era of our epidemic and pandemic. But someday soon, someday soon we'll be able to socialize once again. Why not, why not make plans now to invite someone over for dinner? Why not make plans now to meet for conversation? Why not make plans now to, to get some recreation together with someone at a time when it's safe? You don't have to make it too complicated. That's one of our problems. We make these things so complicated that, that we don't want to do them. We have to have our, spa, our house spotless and our food perfectly displayed. Just Just do it. Hospitality. There's also another service that we can enter into. It's called the service of listening. You know, you don't have to have all the right answers to listen well. In fact, Having the right answer is sometimes the worst way to listen. You know, love for God begins by listening to His Word. That's how it starts. We listen to His Word. And the beginning of love for others is when we really give ourselves to listening to them. When we listen to others well, it's good practice for listening to God. Somewhat similar to this one is what you might call the ministry of the closed mouth. (laughs) The ministry of the closed mouth. Well, it may be one of the least practiced but most needed forms of service today. Conventional wisdom today says express yourself. Let others know what you're thinking. Say what's on your mind. Let everyone know how much you know. But this service says bite your tongue. Bite your tongue when you have the urge to underscore, if ever so subtly, just how much you know. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue when you're urged to to say just ever so subtly the spiritual progress you're making. Bite your tongue. There's also another service that The Bible calls us to, and that's a service of bearing the burdens of others. Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love. God loved us. He calls us to love Him and to love others. God's love is most perfectly fulfilled in us when we bear the hurts and pains and sufferings of others. Bear one another's burdens, it says. At times... At times, it'll feel like such a burden to bear other people's burdens. That's because the most difficult person that I have to, ch- I'm challenged with is myself, and that's a work I need to do in my heart. But bear one another's burdens. Sometimes that'll mean praying for a friend, praying for someone who's going through something difficult. Some, sometimes it's expressing hope and courage to someone who's going through a really difficult time, through some really dark valley. Today, with coronavirus on the loose, there's plenty of opportunity for us to care for one another, to give a word of hope to someone who's discouraged, to, to just say a word to someone through text or email or a phone call. We may have to be remote, but that doesn't mean that that we can't take a moment to bear someone another's burdens, to help them through a, a time of crisis. Finally, the last service I'd like to offer you this morning is the service of sharing the word of life. Sharing the word of life. All of us can do this. God calls us us all to share the good news, the love of God in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in Christ, in our lives, in every way. Whenever you get the chance, whenever you have the opportunity to do it, respectfully, graciously, tell others about what God has done for you in Christ, what he means to you, the peace he's brought to your heart, the risen Christ, the reigning Christ, The living Christ invites us to co-work with Him. He invites us to the ministry of the towel and the basin. And when we do it, when we do it, when it flows from the inner resources that God has given us in Christ, from a heart filled with, with God's love, it creates a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of meaning co-work with Christ. Could I ask you, friend, could I ask you, why not try this prayer as you begin tomorrow? The next day, the next day, and each day of your life, why why not make this a part of your daily prayer? This, Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring me someone today whom I can serve. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have exemplified the greatest humility, the greatest service we could ever imagine. When Jesus came here to this earth not to be served, but to serve. Not to receive, but to give. And he gave his all for us. And that, that giving to us inspires us that giving to us moves us personally creates in us a longing to walk in those steps thank you lord for the privilege we have of being co-laborers with you in this service of caring for and, and loving and and helping others serving others not for our own gain but that you could be honored you could be glorified. And we also thank you that as we do this, we grow closer to you. We are connected more deeply with you. Lord, this week, this week, help us to have that attitude, the attitude of a a servant, the attitude of Jesus that says, Lord, if you would, please bring us someone today whom we could serve We ask you for this, Lord, and we'll do it in your name. Amen.